Well, that was just what the doctor ordered. Welcome to this episode of the Texas Tech edition of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jackson Moody. This is going to be a bit of a different recap show. So Texas Tech beats Houston 49-28 in Lubbock. A big win to move to 2-3 and three on the year. A much, much needed win. And I'm going to talk about why... If there was ever a time to get a 21-point win and ever a way to do it, if you have told me we would have beaten Houston by 21 points, why this is exactly what I scripted it. And while we're not going to go drive by drive, play by play, we're going to talk about what we need to keep in the playbook, what we need to do this week against Baylor on Saturday. And also, some big news for Texas Tech, uh, our Big 12 basketball schedule is released. We're going to talk about that a bit. Ludwig Aberg, huge week at the Ryder Cup, makes his Ryder Cup debut before even playing in a major, and a buzzer beater from probably about 10 days ago now in Austin for Texas Tech soccer. Here we go. So before we get started, if you could, I would more than appreciate if y'all can give us a five-star review, um, give this a rating and review. It really helps us grow the channel, but I got to apologize to y'all real quick. So normally I like to talk about drive by drive and I messed up this week. So I had this board meeting and was focused in on that, waited two hours for it. Can you believe that? But I was focused in on that and I tried to check on this thing, whether I can do it through the sound on my computer or whether I needed my microphone. And when I recorded this the first time, it just went straight to my computer. So we're back on the microphone here doing more of a Baylor preview, but I'll tell you what, this win against Houston, it was a bit ugly in the first half. It wasn't great. The defense was pretty bad in the first half, but man, if there was a way we could win by 21 against Houston, this is exactly how I would have done it. So I I am a thorough believer in the best way to preview a game is by breaking down your last one and what you have to do differently and comparing and contrasting to the rest of the season. This one was a bit interesting. So Baron Morden, I spoke on the last podcast. I said, I don't think the injury concerns were just outside the locker room. I think there was more inside the football facilities that they were concerned about Morden. And that was validated. He did not practice all week. He did not throw until Saturday. Jake Strong took 95% of the reps at QB1. Barron only threw 22 passes. He was solid. 14 of 22, 161 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Very solid. He only got sacked once on the day. But the key to this game was our running game. And what did we talk about last week? Run the dang football. And that's exactly what we did. Cameron Valdez, he got six carries for 111 yards. Taj Brooks being the workhorse that he was was 21 carries of 101 yards. I will say just from a thousand meter view, just looking down on this one, this offense did not look rushed and I was at the game. It never felt rushed. You actually forced Houston to take some timeouts. You forced them to fake an injury in the first half. You forced them to take timeouts when they are lined up wrong. You used tempo at the right times. It was balanced. It was coordinated. It didn't seem rushed. This was the best offensive play calling of Zach Kittley's season so far, bar none. And there really can't be much debate on it. And there were a couple guys, and I just want to point out a few guys from last week. Miles Price, he had a similar catch to what he did with Bear Morton in the game against Tarleton. He had that this week. He went five receptions for 63 yards. Loic Fungi, 
So we got to talk about special teams because in the stadium, Donovan Smith went over six minutes on that first drive, quieted the crowd. And just sitting there, the crowd was quiet, kind of stunned. Deion, or sorry, Dre McCray takes it from in the end zone, gets stalled up at the 15-yard line, bounces it out to the near side to his right side, takes it all the way to the house. Then another receiver who's been a bit underwhelming this year, I think it's fair to say, Loke Fungi. You saw him getting yelled at by Baron Morton against Tarleton. Huge, huge pump lock, and it was something that they had to see on film because there were multiple guys that could have got there. But Loke Fungi gets there, ball bounces right up to him, takes it back to the house. Those were two crucial moments in the game. In a situation where your defense isn't playing well, they finally get a stop, then you block a punt, take it back to the house. Yes, you put your defense on the field, and that's a problem of its own, but you also got seven more points in your pocket, so it's not such a big deal. His connection with Baron Morton, he had a nice back throw, to, throw shoulder to Fungi for that touchdown there. That Fungi beat the corner on the route, made the stop, broke the corner's ankles, then made another move into the end zone after the catch. I am going to be very interested because you got to think Barron was running a lot of the twos last year. Is this some chemistry that we are seeing in action now? And are we going to see more of it throughout this season? And I'll tell you what, the defense, the defense was bad in that first half. It was not good. Um, so Tadrian Taylor Demerson got injured. The Rabbit. Chapman Lewis came in. I thought he played okay. He looked really decent in the second half. Couldn't see any glaring mistakes from the guy. A young kid. Can't blame him too much for any mistakes. And really wasn't many in the second half. The Rabbit should be back this weekend against Baylor. But the defense, the adjustments they made after getting lit up in the first half. You allowed, so they Houston got five full possessions. Scored 28 points, four touchdowns. You got one stop, and then they missed a field goal at the end. And then the defense comes out and just shuts them down the second half. I mean, I'm sitting there. It's 14-point lead. I'm in the stadium, and we're punting the ball away, and I feel good about it. We got a first down, ran the ball a good amount. It's like, all right, that's three minutes off the clock, and I trust our defense. Even after what happened in the first half, I think that you have to have a lot of faith in Tim DeRuiter right now with the adjustments that he's making in the middle of the games. And I think there were some schematic issues. I heard some point out that why is a data raid playing corner on a running back? And I kind of agree with that. You never know when the personnel is going out there if they're huddling or not. But I thought the defense looked good. One play I would pick up that was a key was that fourth and one. And it was this kind of pistol look that we get on Zach Kittley for all the time. And they had Donovan Smith in there and decide to give it to the running back needing one yard and our defensive line just absolutely stuffed them Hutchings and Bradford leading the push the the linebackers coming on their way I will say the young kids that are playing for us a data raid Ben Roberts um Chapman Lewis today um there's a lot of reason to be exciting, excited about our defense in the coming years. And you're just seeing, you're kind of just seeing the top of the iceberg right now. You're seeing the top of the iceberg. And there is a lot more talent underneath it. And you can see they're developing pretty well for the most part. But 
overall, great day for Texas Tech. The offense looked great. You ran the ball. Your special teams look spectacular. Two touchdowns off them. Not going to expect that every game, but really good. And then the defense that had been so good for you this year struggles in the first half against Donovan Smith, who quite frankly played nearly his best game in Lubbock, probably his best half ever in Lubbock and uh, of his life against you, which kind of had to know that was just going to happen with how our luck goes sometimes. But overall, you got to be very encouraged about the way Texas Tech played on Saturday against Houston. And the defense, even though it was a bad first half, shutting them down in the second half, making the necessary adjustments, and getting the win. There are some things that concern me. So, our offense, very, we didn't call one QB run, which I said last week I would lose my mind. If we called a design QB run. And now we did have one where Baron Morton handed it off and then decided to go lead block. Not sure that's such a smart decision with a injured right shoulder, his throwing shoulder. But to be fair to the kid, he did lead block with his left shoulder. So that's fine. But is this going to sustain? Was Zach Hitley making adjustments to make adjustments because of what he had seen on film? Or was he making adjustments because our starting quarterback and only QB with experience was banged up? Can we continue to run the football this much and not call these stupid QB run plays? That is my hope. That is a key against Baylor. That's a key against Kansas State. That's a key in Provo against BYU and win TCU and really any other team we play this season. Can we run the football? And we don't need to run it all the time. So Barron had four scrambles. So 37 total runs, 33 designed run plays. Uh, So the 22 passes, four QB scrambles, so 26 designed pass plays. So you threw it about two-thirds of the time. We don't need to do that much of running, or you ran it two-thirds of the time. We don't need to run it that much when Barron's completely healthy. We don't. But... Can we keep it at 50%? Can we keep it at least 45%? Can we do that? Because you, I I think that you're starting to see, you have Taj Brooks who can just wear a defense down. And he is capable of breaking some. He did it against Wyoming. He did it against Oregon in the limited carries he had. And then you have Cameron Valdez when they're all broken down. And he can, if Cameron Valdez gets a hole, he can bust through that hole and make a difference in the game. And they are two very different types of runners. Brooks, when you watch him, he doesn't have his shoulders parallel to the defender. Valdez does. So Brooks is able to break through that first tackle a bit more. He's able to turn, getting stuffed a yard behind the line to two, three, four yard gains. Something kind of positive for you. Valdez, and this is a skill that he still needs to develop, and he'll never look like Taj Brooks because of his frame, but he needs to develop into kind of bending those shoulders put one shoulder right into the guy and try to run through him a bit, make him make a tough tackle on him. And that's still that that's still something that he's young, got to develop. But it is nice to have it, this in the backfield. You have Taj Brooks who can just break them down and then Cameron Valdez who can bust through holes. That is a perfect one-two punch. I think it I don't want to say it's better than what we saw with Sir Roderick and Taj Brooks. 
But is it possible that the difference that they have in the running game could be more beneficial to you? When, where you have a guy that can bust them, wear them down, and then once you're getting some holes, a guy that can see the holes, bust through there, and go for 20 yards. Is it possible that's the case? Valdez also had a long run against Ole Miss until he fumbled at the very end. I mean, this one-two punch. And then you have Nehemiah Martinez, who's more built like Taj Brooks. That's getting carries. He got another five carries today. That when Taj Brooks needed needs a rest when you still need that power run game you can go to martinez i mean we have a staple of running backs and i gotta say it is pretty cool to see nehemiah martinez lubbock kid getting on the field doing what he does more as a power back than well he came from slot receiver and now he's a power back that says a lot don't throw fades him just give him the football when taj is a bit tired and you still need a power back overall great day for Texas tech can't complain i I got to say, I can be one of the bigger critics, and especially since starting to do this show, I think I've been more critical the more I watch. I've gotten used to rewatching games and all that, but Zach Kitley came under fire. He's still a young OC, very young OC, came under fire this past week and responded with a great game plan, great game plan, played complimentary football. The defense was only on the field for six drives in that first half. If you're going three and out, the way that Houston offense was playing, they could have been on on the field for seven drives, six full drives, seven full drives, and get an eighth drive. And that didn't happen because we played complimentary football. We ran the ball, and we ran the clock down when our defense was struggling, and they got to half and made some changes. And by the way, Ben Roberts again, Tied for the leader in the sacks with Tyler Owens at 10, or not sacks, tackles at 10 apiece. Impressive from the young redshirt freshman. Got to give him his flowers here. Moving on to Baylor. What do we need to do to beat Baylor? Because this is now a massive, massive football game. So the first key comes to offensively. More of the same. Just more of the same. Run the ball. Run the ball, keep using tempo, but only when it's beneficial. When you're getting stuffed, when the defense is in a bind, when the defense is spending a lot of time on the field, when you got to kind of limit their possessions before halftime, take it to the half, do it. Do it. There is no reason not to just slow the game down when you need to. Adapt. That's what Zach Hitley needs to learn, and he's still young. Adapt. But just to some looks at Baylor, so they had that huge comeback. They were down 35-7 to to UCF. Came all the way back and won that game. Blake Shapin is back. He was 21-34 of 34 for 292 yards, touchdown, no picks, one touchdown run. Something interesting to me. And by the way, I tweeted a few weeks ago, so obviously Baron Moore and Sawyer Robinson were in the same class together. Sawyer from Lubbock. Baylor born or Baron born in Lubbock, Texas Tech fan his whole life. I, I tweeted during that Utah game. Thank God we took Baron over Sawyer Robinson. And I'll tell you what, I still feel the same way about putting him up against Blake Shapen, especially. And I don't know what the practice is going to look like for him this week, but if he can get some practice, some reps with the ones, man, this can be a bit scary. Rushing wise, Baylor. They have 
So their lead back seems to be Richard Reese. 45 carries, 225 on the year, 5-yard average. He had 16 carries and 100 yards against UCF for a 6.3 average. But they have two backups with over 30 touches on the year, and their starter only has 45 touches. Dominic Richardson actually has more carries than Richard Reese. 46 of 197, 10 of 37, or 10 carries for 37 yards versus UCF. And then Dawson Pendergrass, who has 35 carries on the season as their third string running back, 164 yards, 4.7 average. He got seven touches against UCF for 4.3 average and a touchdown. They have a staple of running backs. They're going to try to break you down. You got to be brave enough with your defensive tackles. You have Hutchings and Bradley that can match them. You have an inexperienced front seven with Josiah Pierre banged up, and you have Ben Roberts, who is a redshirt freshman, who's looked good for you this year. Can't wait for him in the future. Can he last a whole Big 12 season? That's going to be the key. Can you give him some help in the box? Can that star position, whether it's C.J. Bakersfield or someone else, can they get in there and help out Ben Roberts and Josiah Pierre in the middle? Can you rotate your exterior D-line? Steve Linton does not have to be there on third and obvious passing downs. He can still be your pass rusher, but I'd use a data rate as much as I could. Receiving-wise, Monterey Baldwin is eating up for Baylor right now. He really is. So on the year, Monray Baldwin only has seven or only has twelve catches. Seven of those came against UCF. He has two seventy-eight total. They have four different receivers. One's a tight end with at least twelve catches apiece. Ketron Jackson, Hall Presley, and then the tight end Drake Dabney. It's going to be really interesting to watch it. If I am Texas Tech, if I'm Tim DeRuiter, I'm focusing on Monray Baldwin. He's a guy that's heating up. He got Baylor back into that game against UCF. Blake Shapin and him clearly have some chemistry together. Can you shut them down? Defensively, so this is the original take three that Joey McGuire got it from. They've played five games and they only have six turnovers. They have only four six turnovers so far this season. Not great. Not elite stuff. Not bad, but not elite stuff. Can you hold on to the football? Can Taj Brooks, Nehemiah Martinez, and Cameron Valdez hold on to that ball and give no fumbles? Because I'll tell you what, I'm okay with Barry Morton playing a bit free and turning the ball over once. He can't have a multi-interception game. If you can let him play free... Let him make those brave throws that he likes to make. You can be in really good position to win this football game. A key is, if he throws an interception, not letting it happen again, not letting it happen twice, get into the third quarter with no turnovers so that he's still playing free, so that he gets a whole half of playing free football and can your running backs hold on to the football. Hasn't been much of a problem. They had a couple of fumbles against Wyoming, but they recovered them each time. Can he continue that trend? On an overall comparison, and this is the Big 12. This is just Big 12 rankings out of the 14 teams. And it's kind of what you expect from two two and three teams, but two teams that have played similar schedules. They played a tough, tough non-con Power 5 matchup. They played Utah. We played Oregon. Overall comparison, offensively, yards a game, Baylor is 9th in the Big 12, Tech is 10th. 
passing game, Baylor is 7th, Tech is 10th. We've struggled passing the ball. Rush yards game, Tech is actually 8th with less carries, and Baylor is 10th. Points game, Texas Tech has been very good at that. They're 6th. Despite our struggles, we're still top half of the Big 12 in points game, partially because we go fast. Baylor is 12th. They're going to like to slow the game down. Defensively, on yards a game, Tech is 12th, Baylor is 13th. Tech's a bit deceiving. I don't think that anybody's been watching this Tech team and saying, oh, wow, our defense sucks through five games. Yeah, they suck for one half against Houston, but that was it. Pass yards, Baylor is fourth. Tech is 12th, which is kind of surprising since most of our complaints have been about the exterior rushers. Rush yards, Tech is 10th, which makes sense with our front seven pretty good kind of banged up so we're falling in the rankings a bit we played some good running teams they like to run with their quarterbacks Bo Nix Andrew Presley uh, the West Virginia quarterback Donovan Smith can move a bit some good rushing quarterbacks Baylor is 14th at rush yards game which is one where it would be nice to have Tyler Shuck I'm not gonna lie because Tyler Shuck's a lot more mobile in the QB run game and can exploit that but that's another reason. We got to run the dang football. Keep Barry Morton healthy. Have him drop back as little as possible. Don't have him getting caught scrambling. Don't call QB runs for him. Run it with Taj Brooks. Run it with Nehemiah Martinez and Cameron Valdez. Defensive points game. Tech is 11th. Baylor is 13th. Both have played pretty good offense. Baylor has played Texas. Tech played Oregon. This is a game Texas Tech needs to win. It is a game that if you win this, the next game is going to feel more important. You're going to feel like you have a fighting chance in Big 12 play at 2-1. and one. If you lose it, it's going to feel desperate. And that is the exact same position that Baylor is coming from. This is going to be a clash of styles. Baylor is one-point favorites. It is going to be an ugly game. It's going to be a stressful game. I'm going to be there uh, actually going with my mom to this one. It is going to be a stressful, stressful game. This is a game Texas Tech should win and needs to win. So moving sports over to basketball, and thank God that we beat Houston. We're not just waiting for basketball season at this point. But Big 12 basketball schedule came out, and I got to say, you have a decent non-conference. You play Vanderbilt. You play a tough, tough battle for Atlanta's challenge. You play some good teams like Oral Roberts. Butler on the road, who hasn't been good, but you're playing at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Still a historical place to play. You're pay playing a decent Mountain West team in San Jose State, A&M Corpus Christi, Texas A&M Commerce, Sam Houston State. Teams at UT Arlington, teams that fight for their NCAA tournament bids in their conference, not bottom, bottle, bottom, Jesus, bottom of the barrel in their conferences, but... In Big 12 play, you open at Texas on January 6th. We'll say this is not the first time that a team in red goes to the state capitol trying to overturn an unjust result from last year led by a guy, by an old man who couldn't keep... Oh, okay. Anyways, <laughs> that's mainly a joke. But opening at Texas, that's a good test for you. And I like where you got after that. You got Oklahoma State before the students get back in town. As the students get back in town, you get Kansas State. You go to Houston, which, come on, we're not afraid of Houston's fan base. You get BYU at home. You go to Oklahoma when the students are in town. Same with TCU. 
good situations to play in. You get Cincy at home. Go to Baylor. Not a great home atmosphere for Baylor. UCF in town two days before you take on Kansas at home. So you don't have to go to Lawrence. You get Kansas at home. And you have one of the bottom teams in the Big 12 right before that. That's a good sign. Although, you do go to Hilton that next Saturday, but you got five days to prepare. I like that. You get TCU at home before you get UCF. And then right after you get UCF on the road, you get Texas at home three days later. Overall, I think this is a good schedule. You have tricky trip to Morgantown after that. You go to Oklahoma State and Gallagher, Iowa, where Texas Tech has struggled. And then you finish up with Baylor at home. You gotta like the schedule of your Texas Tech. I think the more I look at it, and I saw it when it came out, I was like, and our roster, yeah, this should be a tournament team. I'm not buying the hype on borderline top 25 team yet. Not yet until I see them on the court in the battle for Atlantis. But you gotta look at the schedule and say, probably got some favorable draws here. You don't go to Lawrence. Right before you play Kansas at home, you get one of the bottom feeders in the Big 12. There are some favorable draws for Texas Tech on this schedule. Also, in golf, Ludwig Eberg, who grew up in the Rawls course, place I used to work at. Uh, well, didn't grow up there. Practice there. Place I used to work at. But goes to the Ryder Cup. Makes his Ryder Cup debut before he turns or before he ever plays in a major. Goes 2-2. Two and two, v- Paired with Oklahoma State's Victor Hovland. And in their second match, they hand Scotty Scheffler, the UT alum, the biggest beatdown in Ryder Cup history. I mean, tip of the cap there. Tip of the cap. That's the icing on the cake for Texas Tech fans. Beating a UT grad in the biggest beatdown in Ryder Cup history. Ultimately, he lost his singles match to Brooks Kepka. It was competitive. I think that what you thought you had with Mito Pereira a couple years ago, you have more of that with Ludwig. And I know Mito's obviously not eligible for the Ryder Cup. He is for the President's Cup. But you got to be excited about getting to watch this kid on tour. I mean, he already has his first European win. It, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this kid play. In women's soccer, before we go, right before we go, holy cow. I don't talk about women's sports too much. I enjoyed when I went to our game against Kansas State at the Big 12 tournament as I was walking. <laughs> Missed the first half of Texas versus Oak State in the men's tournament to go watch the end of that. A lot of fun. But they had one of the most exciting ends to a soccer game I've ever seen. And they're having a good year. Tom Stone, a couple down years for him. He has a good program going, but a couple down years. They're ranked again in Austin playing UT. UT, huge favorites in this one, higher ranked at home. And so you got to understand, there is no stoppage time in college soccer. As the seconds tick down, with a second left, we get a header into the net to walk it off and beat UT. I mean, hats off to those ladies. Hopefully, they get to host some NCAA tournament games coming up in Lubbock. But that's going to do it for this one. If y'all have time, go ahead and give this a rating and review. Give us a five-star rating. Send it to jacksonmoody37 at gmail.com, and we'll get you a free koozie in the mail to you. Really appreciate y'all listening working with me. This one's on the microphone. The last one I recorded last night had terrible, terrible sound. So glad I got to redo this before y'all had to listen to that crap. 
But that's going to do it. Hopefully, we are back at 3-3 three and three next week, top previewing Kansas State. But either way, we'll still be here previewing the game against Kansas State.